Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Coming up on this edition of the TV Black Box 101 podcast, I chat to Gold Logie television game show presenter icon about his career from the Navy a famous cigarette commercial to sale of the century and then a tough gig on Wheel of Fortune. Mr. Tony Barber is coming up right now. This is TV Black Box, bringing you the inside goss from the TV industry. Hello, gorgeous people, and welcome to another TV Black Box one-on-one podcast. I'm Aaron Ryan. We have had some of Australia's television legends on the podcast recently, including John Good and Noni Hazelhurst. Today we have game show royalty with one of our biggest game show presenters, Tony Barber. We will talk game shows, but let's spend some time getting to know him a little deeper. Tony Barber, thank you for joining me today. Good morning, Aaron, and all of your assembled uh, gatherers. Local people, wherever you are. Well, we'll be all over the world. Let let me ask you. Oh, first, great. Ask you first. Um, what have you? How have you been? And um, what have you been up to these days? I'm fine. Uh, considering the lockdown, um, we're doing pretty well because we're at the bottom end of the Mornington Peninsula, and we've probably been less affected than many other areas. So I've been pretty well. I've been uh, doing my daily 10 kilometres walk uh, and uh, spending a lot of time in the kitchen, actually. But um, uh, this is it. You know, I'm a war baby. (laughs) I was born in 1940. So we, we know what hardship is. And I'm constant. I'm amazed and a little bit appalled at the the sort of inability of Australians, many Australians, to put up with a bit of inconvenience for the common good. You know, this is a really serious time, and there are people saying, "Oh, God, you know, can't play golf, can't do this." It's um, our premier in particular, Dan Andrews has been hard-line right from the beginning, um, yeah. except for one sort of fatal area. It wasn't his fault, but that hotel that uh, let people in, yeah. and it went a bit mad. But uh, I just generally, I, I do, I am a bit shocked that people, I mean, even people around here where we live, oh, this is bloody awful, you know, these ridiculous uh, uh, no one's got it that I know. <laughs> it's not about that. It's really not about that. It's about the common good. 
Yeah, it is, it is really sad when you see, obviously, all the cases in places like India and people are complaining about wearing a mask, oh. mask to McDonald's in, uh, in, in Australia. <laughs> I know, I know. It's just, um, well, it's a bit of a wake-up call, actually, that uh, we are in, uh, we're in the globe and we're part of the, the world scene. So, you know, we have to be concerned about India. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, you, you mentioned in there that you do a 10-kilometre walk. I find my 3-kilometre pretty impressive, so so that's awesome. But you also have a big family, don't you? I think, like, nearly 20 grandchildren and seven children. So there must be a lot of birthday parties for you, for you to go to. That's for sure. We, um, well, we had a, a late-life marriage, my wife, Christine, and I, uh, both widowers. Uh, and prior to that, uh, we were friends, and then we took it a step further. So, um, yeah, between the the two of us, but more on her side, she had, she and her late husband, who was a good friend of mine, had five children. All of them each have at least three, sometimes four. Wow. So, you know, it's pretty crowded in the swimming pool sometimes. <laughs> Hey, well, we won't do a uh, This Is Your Life, but we will say that you were born in England um, near the start of World War II. I was going to say, what was it like growing up um, just post-war in the UK, but you actually emigrated to Australia. Can you tell me about your life growing up um, in, in the UK and then moving to Australia? Sure. Well, we left uh, England when I was seven, 1947, and uh, prior to that... Uh, I, you know, I had a really happy childhood. Admittedly, it was wartime early on, but I was too young to even remember that. But sort of 40, I think my earliest living memory is probably 44, 45, 46, uh, before we came to Australia. And in England, we, people, English people will understand, um, even the urban areas are, are very villagey. And in, in my street alone, which was Wellington Street, Chatterton, Oldham, Lancashire, um, I had uh, two sets of grandparents and uh, three aunties who were real aunties and every other woman in the street you called auntie. Um, so it was a, you know, it was a very happy time. Yeah. I don't think that Louis Armstrong once said his feet didn't touch the ground until he was about six. <laughs> and it was a bit the same with me. And then um, on board the SS Asturias um, to Australia in 1947, we were, I think we were the first ship containing um, veterans, you know, people who'd, who'd fought for Navy, Army or whatever in England. And uh, they were very welcome in Australia, especially tradesmen. And my old man was a bricklayer, so yeah. he yeah. had no problems. And we logged in Fremantle on the 6th of October, 1947, at uh, round about uh, five in the morning. Ships come in very early. Uh, and Dad had the trowel out, and he was laying bricks by lunchtime. Uh, because he was part of that huge boom that happened post-war throughout Australia, but especially in Perth. Yeah. Well, you um, after you got here, I mean, I think it was around 14, which was quite young, that you, that you joined the Navy. Um, 
How, how did you come about joining the, the Navy? And t tell us about that experience, because that would be a hell of a way of growing up in your teenage life compared to others. Sure. Well, you, you didn't. Know, I've got to correct you. You didn't actually join the Navy. Mm. You applied for what was a very prestigious scholarship ah. to the Royal Australia Naval College. Dad saw an ad in the paper. Your son could be a naval officer. Applications are invited. And you then sat for um, a very demanding education-type exam, maths, English, um, geography, history. Uh, you sat that exam, and if you passed, you had a, an even more searching medical examination, <laughs> which was e extremely searching. <laughs> and if you pass that, if you pass that, you have to sit down uh, with the headmaster of the college and uh, two or three admirals and for the interview. Now, fortunately, uh, Dad had given me a great love of the Navy and I had a terrific book about the... Um, is that OK? Is that OK? Someone whistling? No. Oh, okay. I I heard a whistle. Yes, I had this book, um, the Battle of the River Platte, and it was the story of the German pocket battleship, the Graf Spey, um, which had absolutely wrecked uh, the merchant shipping in the Atlantic, and uh, they sent out uh, three destroyer, well, three um, two frigates and a destroyer, uh, the Exeter, the Achilles and the Ajax to hunt her down. And I learnt, I actually learnt uh, the Battle of the uh, River Platte by heart. So when they said, uh, when the admirals said, you know, what do you know about the Navy? I, I just launched into this uh, probably 10 or 15 minutes uh, dramatising every moment. <laughs> the 16-inch guns opened up and the brave little frigates went rushing in. Anyway, uh, it did the trick. So um, I was selected with 39 other suitable boys to go to um, then Cerberus, uh, HMA Cerberus, not far from where I'm speaking to you now, wow. uh, to the Royal Australian, uh, to the Naval College. Uh, which was a bit of a wake-up call because um, uh, in those days it was run along the lines of the English public school system. So, you know, older boys had punishment privileges. Uh, there was a hell of a lot of running and uh, very strict, um, very strict parade ground behaviour. Uh, all your kit had to be very clean and up-to-date. So, you know, for some of us it was bit of a wake-up call. But in retrospect, I think it's stood me in good stead later on. Yeah, well, there was a couple of references in there which, which sort of showed a link, but then obviously you, you went into a media career in radio, I think over, over here in, in WA where I am. So what was, yeah. it, what was that link between... You did mention a couple of stories well, which would show sort of your performance side, but, um, yeah, that, that, that link between the Navy and, and media... Well, the, the link was, uh, firstly, at the Christian Brothers and then in the Navy, I probably spent as much time sort of singing 
reciting and uh, generally entertaining as I did studying, which is probably the reason I failed to graduate uh, from the Naval College in England. Um, So at that point, uh, at age uh, 18, 19, I came back to Perth and um, I was sort of just grabbed the first job that came along, which was at the public library in Scarborough. And uh, then I joined the Scarborough Repertory Club and appeared uh, in a couple of plays. And uh, the producer of one of them was uh, the program director of the Whitford's Broadcasting Network. And he said, hey, we've we've got a vacancy in Geraldton, which is 300 miles north of Perth. We've got a vacancy for a bright young chap. You could be what we call a cadet announcer. So um, off I went and got the gig. Uh, and the rest is show business history, really. Oh, wow. I'm, I'm uh, from, Radio. W, from, from WA, so I know all those places that you were talking about. Um, I mean, some people know you, obviously, from the radio and obviously from game shows, but, I mean, you've released over half a dozen albums um, throughout your career from the 70s right through to the 90s. So where do you feel most comfortable, behind the mic, behind the camera, or have you liked being versatile and being able to do different roles? Well, I think maybe less so now, but at the time that I was, shall we say, breaking out as a performer, it... uh, it was it was very important for you to be versatile. You had to have a lot of fingers in the pie. I mean, at one stage, I was doing a breakfast radio show, singing in clubs and pubs at night, and uh, and doing a bit of television as well, early 70s. So I, got, I always call it, I got a lot of time practicing with live ammunition. Yeah. So that by the time... By the time the television really got uh, serious, I was uh, comfortable. You know, I, I could do it with confidence. Yeah. Um, so I suppose the next part is I just saw a little message that it was reported that Bruce Gingell spotted you, but then there's I, I can't see like a release story after that. I mean, what did that actually look like him in, in that reference spotting you and then what happened next? Well... That was the great story of my life, really. I owe it all to cigarettes. <laughs> um, I went to, after Perth, I went to Sydney, hopefully to do the same thing, you know, to be a, a radio star and whatever. And, of course, um, I was very hungry for two or three years, uh, at which point I decided I'd change tack and um, I joined an advertising agency as the media manager, you know, allotting budgets to uh, uh, different for different products to the different stations, mm. um, and of course we we then at one stage we got the um, we got the right to to do the advertising for a brand new cigarette called Cambridge, yeah. and uh, the Creative Boys came up with the idea of um, a guy happy happily walking down Martin Place, as it was then in Sydney, um, whistling and buying a packet of Cambridge at the little kiosk at the end. Hmm. So they said, let's go out and we'll we'll do a demo for the company. And um, uh, so I did the demo, you know, it was just a cheap mock-up. Yeah. And we, we 
dodged it up to the client, the, uh, the Rothmans people, and said, as you usually do, look, don't take any notice. This is just a rough idea. Of course, uh, we'll have a proper shoot and we'll have, we'll have a real model and everything. And uh, to my everlasting gratitude, uh, the Rothmans people said, why would you want to do that? This bloke was terrific. <laughs> so we launched and I became then uh, a, virtually a character. I was the Cambridge Whistler, oh. uh, which was kind of ironic because I could hardly whistle at all. <laughs> I, was really, I was really miming to a, uh, a marvellous soundtrack, which uh, the late, great Gloria Dawn she had done uh, the actual whistling the tune. So I was uh, walking down Martin Place uh, just blowing, <laughs> blowing air. Uh, but it worked, you know. It was it went off like a bomb and the brand took off. And I always say, um, you know, I shouldn't be too proud of it because God knows how many people I've killed. Oh, oh. it shows that... It shows how much times change, though, doesn't it? I mean, you know, cigarette whistling oh, yeah. down the street. I mean, just obviously can't or won't see that anymore. No, no. It was quite, I mean, it was really a clever trick. Not a trick, but, I mean, the creative voice said, look, a healthy young guy whistling, which means he's got good lungs, and therefore cigarette smoking is fine. <laughs> it was really <laughs> insane when you think. So uh, then on to uh, the Great Temptations, start of a big Grundy Association. Did you, did you, yeah. did you feel that this well, was uh, the start of something big or were you expecting oh, just yeah. to be that, part of that, a little game, game show during the day? No, no. That was the huge turning point. And I owe everything really to, well, firstly, the Rothmans people who let me do that ad. And then <laughs> Bruce Gengel, who was the... Um, the, you know, the greatest programmer of television in Australia. Genius, genius television man. Yeah. And he had just left. He'd been poached by Channel, by the Seven Network from the Nines. And Grundy's uh, submitted to him this idea for what was an American game show called Sale of the Century. And uh, they said, Gensel said, let's do a pilot and um, and who do you want to use? And and um, Grundy said, oh, there's Graham Webb or there's this other bloke. And uh, Gingell said, hey, here's an idea. That bloke that does Cambridge ad, he's a, you know, he's a good-looking young bloke, and he apparently he was at the Naval College, so he, he probably knows the big words and he can speak properly. <laughs> so I said, why don't you use him as the pilot? Um, so they did... And and that again was a bit of show business history because uh, they bought the show, the show took off, the daytime show took off, and then it became uh, once a week. It became five nights a week, and then they made the nighttime version, which was the great temptation. So at one stage, in the um, I get confused with dates now. Through the 70s, early 70s, I was on television five days a week for half an hour or an hour, I think, mm. and five nights a week at 7 o'clock on the 7 network. 
Um, and then it all stopped. It, uh, it crashed about 1974. Um, they dropped the shows, um, and I was uh, virtually unemployed. So, you know, it was back to the clubs and the pubs and anywhere I could, anywhere I could get a gig. And then uh, the Nine Network decided to pick it up. Yeah. So that, that was Ginzel. So I was very happy about that. 1980, we launched, and uh, it was an immediate uh, and enormous success. I mean, we, we had, uh, talk about ratings, we had um, not 50% of the television audience, we had about 50% of the population watching sometimes. Oh, wow. It was huge. It was huge. And I, I was blessed with great uh, co-stars. You know, I had uh, Barbara Rogers, firstly, then um, Victoria Nichols, Elise Platt, and, of course, the old reliable Pete Smith, always there. Yeah. I did, I did want to ask, because I obviously want to talk about the, the, the run with Sale of the Century on Nine, but before you got there, when The Great Temptation was doing huge figures, I mean, that's when the Gold Logie ended up coming about. Um, people seem, yeah. seem to have different views on the Logie. For some, it's just a nice recognition. For some people, they strive to reach that pinnacle. What, what's it like to be recognised as the most popular presenter on Australian television? Oh, no, I mean, it was fantastic. Back in the day, That night, I remember that night vividly. And um, it's still my proudest position. I'm sitting here looking at it now. Bright, shiny thing it is. I was going um, to ask you where it was. It's right there. Yeah, it's, it's on a... Um, I've got two little statues there. One of them is the gold logie. And the other one is a beautiful antique, um, a picture of a, um, a not picture, antique uh, cast, bronze cast of a runner, a Grecian runner, which um, my late wife gave to me when I completed my first marathon. <laughs> so they're my two good things. Well, and the Logie was great. I mean, it, you know, it was just, it's a terrific night. I think... It was a bit different in those days because it was um, it was the one night of the year everybody from the different networks talked to everybody else. And, you know, I'm, I'm not saying I'm not disparaging anything that's happened later, but but times change. Yeah. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I, I wanted to ask about the... um before sale that the great temptation because it was doing so well and then it and then it uh, it did leave but the network made the decision to move the show from that 7 p.m slot to 8 30 to take on the might that was number 96 at the time um it sounds good in yeah it sounds good in theory because they they had faith in your show and and then but moving it to 8 30 was kind of the death now i suppose these kind of decisions are out of your hands but what were you thinking when 
when they said, look, we're going to be moving the show to 8.30 um, to take on number 96. Did you, could you see oh, that was going well, to be the end or? I'll clean it up a bit, but I think I probably said we're stuffed. They've killed the golden, the, the goose that laid the golden egg. Yeah. And it, with, it really, it was amazing that that decision was made because it's so obvious. Um, temp the, the, the quiz show uh, or the game show format generally is a family event. Yeah. Everybody can access it. Even now, we sit down with the, when the grandkids are visiting. We, we watch uh, Tom Gleeson and uh, uh, the other Tom. I can't think of his name there. But uh, and the kids love answering one question that they can or whatever. Yeah, it's a family event, and but that's the time of day when families are together. Um, at by the time it's eight thirty. Kids are doing homework. Some of them gone to bed. I mean, it's all split. Yeah. So I think, you know, they, they misjudged that. Well, speaking of family shows, you because um, you weren't out of the limelight for too long with that before you went to sale, because you did go on and do Family Feud for a while, didn't you, for nine? Do you, do you remember much about that experience? or? Yes. Well, I sort of... Um, I was licking my wounds hmm. when all of this, uh, when temptation uh, stopped, when when it was all over. I went back to the West, uh, went back to Perth. I, I was offered a job on 6IX Perth as um, morning, morning a breakfast, breakfast show. Yeah. So I went back to do that, and I'd only been back in the West a matter of months. And Grundy's came up and said, we've got this family feud format we'd like you to do, and we've got to make it here. They started making it in the West ah. at TVW's, TVW's 7, uh, which was good, good, happy time. And, of course, it worked like crazy. It really it was very successful, so much so that uh, nine who were part of the network at that stage for it, um, they said, you know, bring this over here. We want, we want to do this um, in Melbourne, mm. which brought me back, as they say in the West. You know, the wise men from the East came and we followed them. So <laughs> I, was, I was back on the East Coast and happy to be so. And then that's when uh, Nine walked back the Great Temptation uh, with yourself as host. But of course, they renamed the show to its international title, which yep. everyone knows, Sale of the yep. Century. What, was it like yeah. picking up where you left off before, or was this a whole different process and experience uh, this time around? I've got to say, it was the difference between night and day. It was uh, oh. light and shade. And all. Wow. Well, Nine actually put... Uh, see, it was, it was Packer's network then, Kerry Packer. Yeah. And he just... He didn't mess around. He said, OK, we'll buy this show. We're going to do it, but do it properly. It's the sale of the century. Forget the, you know, Austin A30 and the Holden. Give, give them the big winners of Merck. Yeah. Give them $20,000. Make it big. Make it huge. And, of course, that was the secret. Yeah. That really was the, the sale of the century. People were absolutely gobsmacked, you know, right from night one. Yeah. So it, it was good. 
Happy times, good times. I was watching a few old episodes on YouTube, um, and I must say that the openers stay consistent over the years, and you, and you would sort of run out, have a bit of a chat, chat with the co-host, and then the guests, and then get down to the action. It seems that these were not scripted. Nowadays, everything is scripted and very fine-tuned. How much was actually scripted, aside from, obviously, the actual questions? Nothing. Oh, really? <laughs> I'll nothing? I'll tell you what. Ah. Yeah, and I had, I had to fight tooth and nail to have the freedom to express um, express myself to you know to lift the game out of the just question answer question answer so I turned all those little chats and the time in the gift shop and talking to the contestants I, I, I and again it served me that I that I'd worked in pubs and clubs so I had a bit of an accent on the entertainment side of things. Mm. Uh, and, and Grundy's hated it at first, because they said, oh, here's the format. You've got to stick to the format. You know, too much talk at the start. That's, well, you know, that's our point of difference. Yeah. So eventually I, I won that fight. Well, actually, what won the fight was it rated, it rated its absolute thing off. Um, so... It's actually, it's actually quite amazing, really, because, I mean, everything these days is so polished. Do you, do you think people miss that, like the, the, the live variety at least, or even if it's pre-recorded, it, it, at least, it at least seems less rehearsed? Everything's so polished. Yeah. Although, I must say, I, you know, I think um, I always get mixed up. With, uh, Tom, who does hard quiz? Tom, Tom so, Gleeson. Hard quiz is Tom Gleeson, and have you been paying attention to Tom Gleeson? Yeah. Uh, he's, I, I think he's fantastic. Again, he's, he sticks strictly to the format, except when he's not sticking to the format and he's talking to those contestants or getting a laugh out of them. I think he's fantastic. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing. It's, it, it might be a quiz... It, it might be a game show, whatever it is, but it's vitally and importantly got to be entertainment. Yeah. Make people feel good, you know. Well, in terms of asking and answering the questions, I mean, that would be normal, but I, um, I'm guessing there are people that have said some outrageous answers or sworn or something that was cut. Tell me about the stuff that we didn't see. Well, I think... Uh... The most famous one of all um, is probably the woman. The question was, what does Popeye eat to make him strong? And she pressed in very quickly and said, olive oil. <laughs> and uh, I've got to tell you, the, bloody studio, the studio practically, <laughs> the, the studio audience, there were people just, <laughs> they could. We had to break for about fifteen minutes to get things back on track, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, everybody seemed to know exactly who Olive Oil was. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, uh, funny moments. You, you probably. Yeah. I've heard you uh, on somewhere. I've read about this, so the story is obviously out. But just to clarify, did someone die on set on yes. in the middle of a game yeah. or something? Uh, that always comes up, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which um, is, um, oh, I suppose it's, it's the way of the world. It's 
It's very dramatic, of course. It was dramatic. Not that it ever... And no one ever saw it. It didn't get to air. But um, we'd had a good uh, day of recording, I think, because we used to do three or four at a sitting. This was the last show of the day, and uh, the lady... uh, had uh, I think this was the daytime, the very Channel Seven daytime show, yeah. and um, she uh, she was five dollars behind, that she was level, and, and it was the last question she pressed, and she answered correctly, and I said, oh, "Congratulations, Beryl, you won," and she slumped forward on the desk, and initially everyone said, "Oh." Great reaction. This will be terrific. Uh, you know, dramatic. Oh. And then all of a sudden, she slipped sideways. And everyone realized this is, you know, it's serious. So at that point, like, stop tape, stop recording. And uh, one thing I'll, I'll never forget, because it just shows you how, in under the most awful circumstances, people can be quite cynical and one of the crew, the cameraman that was next to me, uh, when this happened, stopped tape. He said, oh, geez, we're never going to get down to that pub now. Mm-hmm. But, of course, he didn't realise that the, the woman passed. Yeah, oh, so that geez. was uh, pretty traumatic. But, again, no one, no one saw it except the people who were uh, in the shootout that day. And then the really... the. Um, the tag to that whole story is that the family of that woman wrote a letter to Seven asking if they could put the ashes in the garden at Channel Seven because it had been such a great favourite of Mum's. You know, oh. I, I, I mean that's uh, it's kind of sad and but beautiful at the same time. Anyway, Seven wouldn't have it. So th- they probably thought everybody would be wanting to do it next. Ah, so, so that was during like sale of the century, not Great Temptations. I noticed you're, you're referring to Channel 7 instead of 9. Was that before that? Yeah, this was the original ah. Great Temptation at ah. night. Ah, right, of course. Um, so the stuff that we didn't see, what about yourself, uh, Victoria, Elise, and who am I forgetting? Delvine. Um, any any running out in the intros and falling over or awkward moments or pronouncing not pronouncing things properly with there stuff like that? I'm sure that was. Uh, I can't remember any particular instances, but um, they're, they're the sort of thing I used to fight like hell to not stop tape. You know, leave it in, leave it in, because again, it, it takes away that homogenised. You know, perfection, everything's got to be just right. Yeah. Uh, it makes, See, on the one hand, you're recording, but you're recording a live show. It's live when you do it. Yeah. And the more, the more that you can keep that uh, sort of live feeling with, the, you know, a few little blunders, mistakes, uh, excitements, whatever, the better. Yeah, absolutely. There was a a famous moment, I think they still show it on bloopers about once every two years, Um, the part where I'm saying, um, 
you know, you've won, we're up at the back of the set, and they had all the, the cash was in a huge safe suspended from the studio roof. And we'd be standing up there, me standing close by, and saying, congratulations, uh, whoever, you've won $50,000. And, and the safe came down too far and oh. hit me on the head. <laughs> and I, I literally, well, what I did, again, because I was hoping they'd keep it in, I played it up a bit. I, you know, I pretended to be absolutely out to it and then came to and um, so they did keep it and it's a great bit of footage and occasionally when I get a headache I think I wonder if I'm still <laughs> I wonder if I get, there might be a quid in this wow yeah um, can I ask you what the uh, actual reason is you left sale I mean some I'm only going by online commentary says it was because of a contract dispute after being offered a 12-month deal instead of a multi-year contract what 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 actually happened because you're obviously on a big high there with sale this entry well that's that's exactly what happened oh. I'd had I think um, two consecutive contracts of one was three years the next one was five years and um, and the, that was up for renewal. Yeah. And um, about that time, um, Bo Alan Bond had taken over. No, Alan Bond had, had been running the network, sold it back to Packer. And Packer came in and there was a great emphasis on um, making everything more economical. Yeah. Bond has been, you know, oh God, champagne, French champagne and everybody's fridge, stuff, stuff, stuff. And and Kerry came back and said we've got to get more stringent, you know. Mm -hmm. And um as part of that, when my contract renewal came up, um they said, Well we don't know how this is gonna go, whether it's been you know, could be on its last leg. So they offered me, I think, a two-year contract instead of five. And, I, you know, I was uh, married, bringing up a couple of kids, normal expense. And I, I just, I thought it was a bit mean, you know, because I'd kept the funny thing going for all those years. Yeah. And now they were, they were sort of, it wasn't about the money. It was about the time. And I had confidence in the show. You know, I said, this could last another 10, 15 years, whatever. Yeah. Anyway, um, uh, that was it. Uh, they wouldn't come to the party, and um, I walked. Yeah. Well, there the, you go. You, you, you then went on to host Jeopardy on Channel 10, but, I mean, that didn't last too long. I'm just interested, right. were, were 10 actually confident that they could make inroads at 6pm back then? Because it's interesting because they have chucked everything in the slot, so it's not just Jeopardy. They have they put everything in that slot in the last 10 years. Yeah. Um, game shows, George Negus, and now yeah. even now extended news. Um, was, there, was, was there a whiff of excitement for Jeopardy or was the expectation that it probably no, wouldn't no. even last long? Well, there was for a couple of weeks. It, so, it took off and then the news came back, you know. You can't beat the news. Everybody's for years and years in Australia. Six o'clock is news time. That's it. Yeah. And um, 
if it's not news, it's a news-style program. So, uh, you know, they were always pushing the wheelbarrow uphill. Um, and it's a shame. You know, it could have... At 5.30, it could have lasted as long. See, <laughs> Jeopardy in America is still going. Yeah, of course. It's still a great show. Well, um, so, that, you know, that was a programming blunder. You said that um, earlier that, you know, sort of chalk and cheese got working from seven to nine. I mean, nine, the big sort of Hollywood Kerry Packer era, era, era and all that. So what was it like then going to 10? Is that, again, completely different? Well, at that point in time, I'm not saying it's like that now, but if it was chalk and cheese between nine and seven, it was charcoal. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, you know, they... they 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 didn't have the budgets. They didn't have the uh, the drive. They didn't have the nows. Yeah. But the, the programming cleverness. Mm. Different now, of course. They did very well. I want to talk about something uh, which may or may not be difficult for you, but um, that is your time at Wheel of Fortune. Now. In retrospect, I mean, I, I really, really feel sorry for you in, in, in what was inherited. The show was still popular when they decided to relocate the show, revamp the show and change hosts. The viewers clearly loved uh, and still love John Burgess, and, the, and viewers were not outraged uh, necessarily by you coming onto the show, but it was just that John Burgess had been sacked and, and he did not have an opportunity to say goodbye on air and and do a handover. Yeah. A new job is usually exciting. I mean, how was it for you walking into that? Well, um, I think I had been, basically, I think I'd been unemployed for a while after Jeopardy. And so, you know, I was thrilled. It was like a lifeline, another opportunity. I certainly wasn't going to knock it back. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. also, I had... I had no real idea at the time of the circumstances. Mm. Um, I just thought, oh, Burjack probably wants to go on and do other things. I didn't realise that he had actually, you know, been, as it were, cancelled. Mm. And uh, and so I inherited this thing, and, and the, the 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 backbite the, the, was was just terrible. You know, I, I, it was like. And funnily enough, um, they did they did a survey. Of, you know, they do these groups where they get a group of average citizens together mm. and ask them, what, you know, what's the problem here? What, what's the thing with this show? And the answer came back: it's like it's like a marriage. It's like uh, Burjo and Adriana were married. They were that close. Yeah, and and Tony's come in and broken up the marriage. It's like, you oh. know, I mean, this is preposterous, of course, but uh, yeah, I, I get it. I sort of get it. Um, people, especially older audiences, you know, what right is he to come in and bust up my show? You know, I love them. I love Adriana. I love Bridget. Who's this? <laughs> it's it's amazing, but that. I think that's the way it was. Well, it wasn't just the um, like the host that changed. They decided to revamp the whole show. I even just have these memories of when I used to watch Wheel of Fortune, you used to spin the wheel and it used to go around a few times. And then 
when you came on and they decided to revamp the show, it kind of spun like half a spin and then clunked and you know, you know, yeah. it's obviously to make it quicker. So between the turnaround, kind of, um, but all, was, all of those elements kind of changes. I mean, it, do, yeah. do you think they ever really had a chance starting off with so many changes? No, <laughs> they were trying to probably trying to speed up the process, and also I think they were trying to. Uh, they probably, you know, which could have been the right way to go. I think they were wisely saying. Oh, it's not just Spurgeo. Uh, we're changing everything. <laughs> oh. But uh, it didn't, didn't work. did not work. I, I have to ask the beautiful Adriana Xenides, um, world's longest-running co-host. Um, mm. and, I mean, that period really took a toll on her. What Was it a, a really... Was it a really difficult time for you once you had started and once you realised what had been happening with her and the team and the, and the feedback? I mean, how was it for you or did it feel like you were outside all of this, like you were just, on, you know, looking in as opposed to being part of this, this team? Oh, look, I, I had no idea about those uh, background workings except that um, Adriana had one or two things to say about Burjo, um, about things that were happening in the studio. Mm. Um, you know, just, I think, you know what? I really think there was actually a who's the star of this show thing between those two. Yeah. Not not between me and Adriana or, and never between me and any of, I mean, uh, the the thing with the uh, what do they call it uh, Tony's beautiful uh, assistant I mean that's uh, that's just uh, it developed from Bob and Dolly Dyer mm. uh, that that sort of situation uh, so it was you're running the show and here's your beautiful female assistant and I think with Adriana was so popular. She sort of offset. Um, she might have offset um, the Burjo thing. Yeah. Well, well, anyway, that's the that was the uh, that was the back chat I got when I was there. Uh, that feeling that uh, they weren't the perfectly married, happy marriage couple anyway. Ah. So just to wrap up, Will of Fortune. So. At the end of all of that, was it your decision to leave? Because I also watched the final episode with you and there was no goodbye um, that you were leaving. Did Seven just want to end that association between John Burgess himself, Adriana, and start afresh, or, or or did you decide to leave? You know what? I can't for the life of me remember. The only thing I do remember is an enormous sense of relief. Yeah. But that next week or whenever it was, I wouldn't have to go in there and do that. It went, you know, it's just, I was never really comfortable. And and this gives me the opportunity to tell you that there's two two types of, of game shows. It's actually game shows where it is a game and there's a quiz where we're trying to find out who's smart and who's not. And I think I was well suited to the quiz and not comfortable with the game. Mm. So there you go. 
Well, you went back with uh, at least flat uh, guest host temptation while Ed and Lavinia were actually participants in, an, in some celebrity challenge. I could only imagine that this would, would have been like a school reunion. Was it, was it as fun as it seemed going back? Oh, it was, yeah, it was, it was nice. I, I had... Um... I had sort of mixed feelings. It was on nine, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. correct. Yeah, um, yeah. I, because this had been my life for so long, and I had, um, I mean, I, I used to throw terrific parties for the crew and things, and, and we were a close knit bunch. And then I wasn't there, and so sometime later, going back, it felt very, very weird. Almost uncomfortable. Oh. You put it's showbiz, so you put on the yeah, oh, good. But uh, I was still a bit cut. Ah, interesting. Um, you did uh, Dancing with the Stars. Um, now the idea of performing yeah. wouldn't have been a big stretch for you, um, you know, with your singing and dancing. But I guess, of course, learning classical ballroom type dancing would have been different. Was was, was that a good experience for you? It was, look, I had a terrific time um, rehearsing, you know, getting getting ready. That um, and my partner was fabulous and she she had to work on me because, you know, like everybody else on that show, <laughs> like something like uh, between 20 and 35. And there <laughs> I was at 74 years of age, 74 years of age. And I see, I couldn't. I couldn't do the lifts. I, I couldn't do uh, the. Uh, I couldn't do the splits. I couldn't do the lifts. My uh, my wife Christine was so funny. She she warned me. She said, "You've got to remember, you know, this is this is like sport, and it's a young person's sport." And I said, "Oh, I'll give it a bash." And and of course, the other thing is this. Uh, and again, here we are online, but it was the online voting, which was like 80% under the youngies. Yeah. Youngies voting for youngies. Uh, the uh, the oldies, older people are not that adept at getting online and voting for something. <laughs> and and that, that, that was my, uh, that was supposed to be my ace and the whole was the older demographic. But, but but they're not they're not so good at getting at, at getting through the the techni technical part, which of course I can understand completely. Now I'm old. Well, it, I mean, it, it seemed like a funny a funny experience. They have had older people. They're like Patty Newton um, and and things like that. But uh, it, it's you know sometimes it's about the character and the performance, and even some of the people that couldn't dance quite well, actually got through because of their, mm. with their performances and stuff. Yeah, but you, popularity. You, um, you performed in uh, Senior Moments. Now, I'm not sure how long that went for because when I was sort of looking that up, it, it, it was just before COVID seemed to kick in. Uh, for people that don't know... Uh, exactly. For people that don't know what that was, can you tell us about what Senior Moments was and, and, and what it meant for you? Well... Yeah, it, it was sort of a, a sketch comedy live on stage um, with the accent on uh, older people. Yeah. Uh, Max Gillies, myself, and John Howard. Oh. Um, 
not the John Howard, <laughs> which is which is actually a line from the play. But it, <laughs> the it, always very the always greener John Howard. Oh yeah, very funny, um, good, clever writing, and aimed directly, at which so few things are these days, at um, at the more mature market. Anyway, we were going gangbusters. Opened in um, in Brisbane. Uh, we did Brisbane. We did Adelaide. We did Sydney, of course. And, uh, you know, full houses, terrific stuff. And then we were ready to go to um, Perth and Melbourne. Perth and Melbourne, just as, um, as COVID struck. Oh. Just as that first lockdown. So... Uh, that was it, basically. And uh, when you consider how difficult it is to get things like that up into production and the availability of theatres and so forth, mm. I mean, I'm sure they're still... Uh, the people that produce it, I'm sure they're still looking for an opening to do that. But I would think anybody with a show, whether it's music, uh, performance, whatever... Is desperate for a theatre, mm. so they'll, they'll have a waiting list. They'll have a waiting list a mile long, I should think. Yeah, I'm definitely. But you know, you know it, it could come back. Very, very funny stuff. Yeah. And Gillies, God, uh, honestly, Gillies, that was one of the great experiences of my show business life, working with Max, but because we were, we were sort of, uh, 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 we were a couple. We were the, we were the, everyone else was. Under, under 40, and there we are, over 70. So we were the we were the, the pair after the show. Oh, sorry, that's my dog. Uh, maestro. We, we were the couple who sought out the best restaurant and um, had, a, had the good feed and a bottle of wine after, after each performance. Um, a very, very happy experience. And what a what a funny man, Maestro! Shush! Sorry about that. <laughs> Someone just walked past. <laughs> um, yes, so there it was. So, and I'd like to think it can come back. I'm just going to shut this door. Bad dog. Yes. Well, I'm back. hopefully, hopefully the, sh uh, the show does come back. I mean, I'd love to see it over here in Perth, but um, we'll have to wait on that one. Um, just finally, uh, to the, uh, you know, a two-part question um, to wrap things up. Let's talk about your, your greatest achievements and, and uh, perhaps greatest disappointments. I want to start with disappointments only because I want to end on a high note. Is there anything that you didn't achieve that you wanted to or a failure or something that you regret? Um, with, with your career? Yes. Uh, good question. I, more than anything, I wish I'd done more vocally. I wish I'd had better management, better ideas, and um, a better choice of, you know... I, I liked making the records, and they did sell well. And I, I enjoyed singing. Mm. Still do, a little bit, if you don't watch me. Um, but that's because that, that that was my I, I thought my main thing. Hello. Yep. 
Hello? Yeah, still, still here. Yeah, still here. Yeah, no, I mean, no, I was boy soprano champion of all of Western Australia oh, wow. uh, when I was 10, 11, 12, before the Navy. And um, I could sing. You know, people, when I started singing uh, later on when I was on television, people say, oh, you know, he's a bloody good. Now he wants to be a singer. Now he wants to be a singer. Well, for God's sake, I always was, you know. So um, I, that's that's always that sort of sticks in my core a little. Have, um, have you have you I still got the voice? Could you uh, you know maybe put a song uh, out there on no. someone? No, okay. Uh, I, 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 I have to be very careful how I choose the material these days uh. um, because the voice, uh, even for talking, even now, uh, the voice does. Deteriorate. I mean, we get older all over, if you like. Mm. But the the voice is one of the first things to show it. Yeah. Um. So, um. Oh, thank God I made those records while I could. And what about the um the, the memories, professionally or personally, stuff that you'll treasure forever, or your or your greatest achievements? Uh, look, can I be honest? I know, and sometimes. This sort of sounds like ingratitude, but I think the the very best things in my life have been far more personal than professional. Mm. Uh, uh, my marriage, marriages, if you like, uh, my marriages, my children. Um, yeah, I, 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 if you want to go the other way, I suppose. You know, doing anything for that long as I did and successfully, um, well, I mean, that, that, I feel good about that. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Well, um, Tony Barber, thank you very much for the chat. You are definitely in the group of Australian television royalty. Your contribution to the arts and television landscape are immeasurable. And I know the audience treasure your thoughts and memories. So thank you so much. Very kind. You're, you're too kind, and uh, I've I've enjoyed this a lot. Uh, my wife, <laughs> I'll I'll say, gee, I had a good time talking to that bloke, <laughs> and she'll say, of course you did. You love talking about yourself. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So thank you. Thank you. No worries at all. And I hope I hope it's well watched or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Well, what an, awesome, what an awesome chat. That was game show king and television icon Tony Barber. Well, that is it for this edition of the TV Black Box 101 podcast. You can listen to more podcasts and get the latest television news and exclusive content at tvblackbox.com.au. Plus, more live chat with the Andrew Robin Robbo show that's been Monday to Thursday, 9pm Eastern on all the socials. Thank you for joining me and check out um, the site for the next new podcast soon. Thanks for listening. I'm Aaron Ryan. Until then, look after yourselves. Bye for now. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 
36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.